0: We are jumping into a new series. We've concluded our shout series. And, and right on the heels of that, uh, the Lord was just speaking to me about jumping into a series on moving into. No, we're jumping. There's a lot of jumping going on. Uh, moving into a series on prayer. Because we can declare and say, hey, we need to be a church that's shouting uh, over our city and over our marriages, over our homes, over our children. But maybe you were thinking this. So what do I shout? What do I shout? It's not just about screaming, ah, that that God actually has laid out a plan for us and what we're supposed to declare and how we're supposed to declare it. And so it just fit really perfectly to move into a series on prayer. Um, I I entitled this series very simply, Pray, so there's no confusion. Pray. I am all about simplicity. I'm all about uh, being able to remember what we're talking about. Pray. And we're going to actually be talking about prayer for the next Six weeks, which, believe it or not, takes us all the way up to Palm Sunday and then Easter. So, so Easter is seven or, seven or eight weeks away. It's coming quickly. Um, so coming out of Shout, talking about prayer, but I think also very appropriate for us as we lead up to Easter to be a church that's praying and really understanding and pressing into what prayer is. If I, if I had to ask this question, and I'm going to ask it, uh, would you, by show of hands, who of you believe that prayer is important? Just raise your hand. All right, good. If you survey people in the United States, and there are surveys that have been done in regards to prayer, if you ask people, is prayer important? Most people, Christian or not, would say, yeah, yeah, prayer is important. And I pray. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a person who prays. I, I think prayer is important. Yeah, you know, especially when, when there's a crisis. I remember after 9-11, uh, Man, the churches were full. We were starting prayer meetings and communities were coming out. Church was packed and people in crisis were just crying out to God. If you ask Christians, every Christian should say, yes, prayer is important. Every Christian should agree with that. Maybe if you've been around church for a while, you've heard uh, messages about prayer and series on prayer and read books about prayer. Maybe you've heard things about prayers of agreement and prayers of faith Prayers of consecration, prayers of worship and praise, prayers of intercession, and prayers of binding and loosing, which are all important. By the way, those are the six different kinds of prayer that are found in Scripture. And those weren't my points for the morning, so don't be like, oh, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Um, And we will cover those things in the weeks to come. But we have to kind of back up a little bit and really get to the heart of prayer and get to a deeper place of understanding. In fact, Uh, I mentioned praise in there. Prayer and praise go really hand in hand, and they they have the same uh, root word, the same root meaning. But uh, in in Scripture, you find that prayer and praise are important. In fact, prayer is referenced 375 times in the Bible. Do you think that's important? Absolutely. Praise is referenced 377 times. So worship team, two more than prayer. No, it's they are important prayer is important but i think prayer is an area that when we, when we're asked or if you ask someone hey hey do you think prayer is important absolutely what do you pray oh absolutely well well do you think you've got prayer kind of figured out do you know how to pray oh yeah oh yeah i know how to pray thank you lord for this food amen right and it kind of stops there or we pray in these emergency situations like ah lord help help and and you know what's a good prayer to pray shortest prayer right there help and god's like yeah, yeah i hear you <laughs> but sometimes our prayer ends up being these 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 in the moment kind of i need help or i need something right if you have kids in your home right they're they're like they're strangers they're not around until they need something, right? How many moms have heard this? Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, there's nothing to eat. Mom, cook a, cook a meal. No, Mom, not that meal. That's not my, right? We could go on a tangent there. How, how many times do we come to God and what we think we're doing is immersing ourselves in prayer and really we're just going, God, give me, God, I need, God, 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 God. And, and, and again, God doesn't deny in the same way that a parent would say, okay, They'll cook you a meal But there's a deeper sense and a deeper meaning to what prayer is and I believe as a church It's critical that we lay hold of it That we understand it with every part of who we are We need a deeper understanding of prayer We need to be able to press in in prayer and I really believe this is just my opinion Then read this in a book or take a survey, but I, I believe and, and part of this is evidence even in my own walk with the Lord that prayer is often the least developed of our spiritual disciplines. It's the place where we commune with Jesus, the least. We we understand praise, and it's you know I think we're surrounded. You can turn music on, you can come to worship, and you can and praise the Lord. We, during during our pre-service prayer time this morning, we did an exercise where we just prayed out loud, everyone for thirty seconds. And can I tell you, that's a stretch. To pray out loud in front of people for 30 seconds, yet if prayer is as important as we say it is and we believe it is and we know it is, shouldn't prayer just flow? Shouldn't it just just you know just seep out of our pores, just, just flow out of the very uh, nature of who we are? So we're going to look for six weeks, and can I just tell you six weeks is really not even a comprehensive look at prayer? We're going to scratch the surface, but we're going to take a look at prayer. I want to read a couple of passages as we jump in this morning into the subject of prayer. We're going to start in James chapter 5. We're going to look at 1 Timothy, if you want to open in your Bibles. Um, But the passage we're going to focus on this morning is in Psalm 139. So James 5, 1 Timothy 2, and Psalm 139. James 5, starting verse 13, says this. Is any of you in trouble? Ever been in trouble? Right? Yeah, we've all been there. I'm going to be very interactive today, so just kind of warm your arms up and get ready. Uh, Is any of you, you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church. Pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man and woman is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And effective. I love that. And you've probably heard that passage quoted many, many times. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Prayer is powerful. We've been talking about in in Shout how, how Jesus has given us the authority to tear down strongholds. And that happens when we shout in prayer. As we declare the things of God. The prayer of a righteous man powerful and effective. I started meditating on this scripture. I was reading it. Of course, this is one of the passages that had to be a part of the the verses I shared because because this is an anchor passage in regards to prayer. But I started thinking about that word righteous. Why does he say that? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. doesn't say the prayer of anyone who happens to throw up a prayer is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I believe, and I know in my own heart, I I feel this, not condemnation, but there's a pressure, a tension, that when I'm not walking the way I'm supposed to be walking, that my prayer becomes less effective. Now, in regards to the doctrine doctrine of salvation, you are saved and you are declared to be righteous. It's a done deal before the Lord. But here's the thing, we make decisions every day and whether or not we're going to walk in that righteousness, whether we're going to give in to the desires of the flesh or we're going to walk in accordance to the Spirit of God. And as we do that, we embrace the righteousness that God has given us and to the degree that we walk in that, our prayer becomes effective. Guys, it's not a fun thing to think about. I don't want my prayer to be ineffective, yet sometimes I live my life in such a way that it affects my prayer life. I'm getting ahead of myself. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. This is Paul writing to Timothy. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. First of all, first of all, this is the starting point. Before anything else, get on your knees and be a person of prayer. And make supplications. Bring those requests to Him. in prayers and intercession, standing in the gap and giving praise through Thanksgiving. For all people. Paul says to us, says to Timothy and God saying to us that we need to first of all be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of prayer. A church that does not pray, a people who do not pray, do not know the the will of God, do not walk out the will of God and we end up defaulting to our best guess. And it's usually not very good. All right, so we're going to jump in. I brought a log with me today. You're probably wondering why there's firewood, and you're probably wondering why I have a lighter and wood after a week after we set off the fire alarm. Um, it's all good. We're not going to do anything crazy. When we lived in Anchorage, where it gets cold, like really cold, not like Glendora cold, Southern California cold, um, like we walk out sometimes, oh, it's cold out here, and then I remember what cold really is. I'm like, that's actually not that bad. Um, we lived in, <laughs> thank you, Minnesota. Yeah, right? You're like, I get cold. I know cold. There's cold and then there's cold. We lived in a cold part of the world. And we bought a house up in Anchorage and, and this house came with this awesome thing in it. It's called a wood-burning stove. And it sat in the corner of the living room. In fact, I have a picture of our stove. That was our stove in Anchorage. Um not very pretty, but I gotta tell you, in December and January, man, we were all huddled around that thing like it was a big screen TV. <laughs> now I I grew up in Africa where it doesn't get cold. I don't even really get cold. Like there's we get frost a few times, kinda like here. So we moved to Anchorage, and I have to now acclimate and adjust to living in this cold environment. And we buy this house, and it has a wood stove. I'm like, this is awesome. I need to go buy wood. And so I started asking around, and I asked people, like, where do I buy wood? And they gave me this weird look, like, what? You live in Alaska. You don't buy wood. You take your truck. You drive out of town. You cut down a tree. You bring it home. You chop it up, and you stack it, and you do that all summer long so that in the winter you don't run out. I learned that one the hard way as well. Cutting down a spruce tree in the middle of winter when you got snow up to here, not, not so much fun. Um, well, we learned to use this stove. This stove was like the Cadillac of stoves. Now, you might not look, think it looking at it, but it was. This was a Quadrifire 2000. Just everyone say, ooh. All right. It was a Quadrifier 2000. Quadrifier it had four burning zones four burning zones. It was actually a clean burning stove and once it got up to temperature there was almost no smoke coming out of the stack. It burned all of that carbon. It was very efficient and when it was, when it was humming, when it was, when it was heated up we would turn the, the heat off to our house and it would be a balmy 80 degrees. This is when it's negative 15 outside. We would get home from church on Sundays and we, we met in a school kind of like this and I tell you what, set up and tear down at negative 15, now that is an experience. we get home from packing up church, and we'd just be chilled to the bone. And we would circle up around the, the, the fireplace. In fact, the, the window right behind that was the only window in the summer that sun would come through, and we would lie in the sunshine in front of the fireplace and dream that we were on the beach. And it was like we were all, the dogs and everyone, just in front of that fireplace. That fireplace was amazing. But I had to learn how to use it in fact, you would get it started, and it would take a couple of hours to get really warmed up, and that thing, that whole casing around it would just get super hot, and you could adjust the vents in it, and you could put one log in it, one good birch log, and it would burn for hours, and it would just keep going, and you just keep feeding that fire, keep feeding it. I was singing about prayer this morning in our prayer lives. You know, prayer is kind of like this stove. Prayer in your life is like this wood stove. It's designed to radiate the Spirit of God in your life. It's supposed to affect every part of who you are. He wants to warm you. He wants to to bring light into the darkness. He wants to just touch your life. He wants you to gather around and just be close. See, but here's the problem. That stove was useless if I didn't light a fire in it. In fact, it was just kind of ugly. By the way, we didn't pick the tile that came that way. It wasn't our favorite. Hello, 1990s. Um, It was ugly, but man, in the winter, we loved that thing. We had to get a fire started, and the way we would start a fire is you get some kindling, and you build a small fire, and then that fire would get a little bit bigger, and you put bigger logs. You've all built a fire. You put bigger logs in there, and then eventually there's a good bed of coal, and then you can shove it full of some logs, and and you're good to go, and that thing's going to keep you warm for a while. You know, I think sometimes we approach prayer like this. God's saying, I've given you a furnace. I've given you a wood stove. And what we do is sometimes we come to prayer and we take a log and we go, hey, Lord, I've got this big thing that's going on in my life and I need you to care for it. Could you, could you just take care of, of what's going on in my life? Please, Lord. Don't you hear what I'm saying? I don't want to create too much smoke. It's not going to happen. Now eventually, if I stand here long enough with this lighter, yeah, you're going to get a bit of a flame, but it's not going to consume this thing. And it's really just going to be more frustrating than anything. And so what happens a lot in our prayer lives, especially in the West, is that we come to God when we need him for the big things. And then we're like, oh God, oh God, where are you? And he's like, listen, if you've been stoking the fire, the big things wouldn't be big things. If I threw that log into that, into that fireplace when it was hot, I mean, that that window would just be glowing red. Throw that thing in there, close the door, and it'd just go, and the whole thing would be just on fire. We come to the Lord, and we throw up these prayers like, hey, Jesus, I need you. And then the rest of the week, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, Lord, thank you for the food. Lord, thank you that... That I'm blessed. Lord, would you fix that person over there? Lord, would you cast a demon out of that person? Whether they know they have it or not. But I'm good, Lord. And then there's a crisis that shows up and it's a big old honking log. And we're like, Lord. And we bust out our lighter. We're like, Lord, please, please hear my prayer. Now He loves us. And he'll respond to us. man, if the furnace of your prayer life isn't stoked and on fire, all you're going to be throwing up is desperate cries. And Paul says to the church, pray without ceasing. What he's saying is get your fire going. Get it started and keep feeding it. And don't let it die down. In the winter, oh man, we would... We would keep that thing going, and I would get up in the middle of the night and throw one more log, and we would turn it way low, and it would just kind of just glow all night. And it would last so long that in the morning, we could get up and throw another log in there, and it would, and it would come back to life. God is calling us to be a people of prayer. He wants us to stoke the fire, the furnace, that place of passion in our lives And we get tastes of it when we come to worship, when we raise our hands. And there's something powerful, and that's why praise and prayer go hand in hand. When you come and you start declaring the things of the Lord, especially when you're singing songs that are straight out of Scripture, oh, man, you just feel it just start. And the kindling, and there's flame, and you're like, yeah! And then you leave, and then there's nothing else added to the fire until next Sunday. And God's like, and and, and what do you want? out of this. What are you expecting to happen? We need to stoke the fire. So how do we do that? How do we take those steps? What does that look like in the life of the believer? See, a lot of our prayer, again, in the West, and I say that importantly because, you know, in other nations, in third world nations, you know, you pray because you have no other option. I pray for healing because there is no hospital. I pray for breakthrough because spiritual and demonic possession is a very real, tangible thing. But we lead very comfortable lives. See, we're more prone to pop an Advil before we are to pray a prayer. The Bible says right there, if someone's sick, what do you do? Go see a doctor? No, you pray. If your finances are in trouble, you pray. It doesn't matter. Fill in the blank. You pray. But we've become so comfortable, and our prayer life has become really this. Lord, I want to pray for them, and I want to pray for those people and those other people over there. And, Lord, I just pray that you would move on the outside. And every now and again is that, oh, Lord, and and for me too. Oh, Lord, now I have this crisis. Would you meet me? He's like, no, 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 no. I want to do something deeper. So this morning, we're going to talk about a prayer that David prayed a dangerous prayer you ever pray a safe prayer we pray a lot of safe prayers lord would you just and i love that word too how many of you use the word just all the time when you're praying god would you just 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 lord father god heavenly father spirit just i could pray a lot shorter prayers if i just take some of that extra stuff out we tend to pray safe prayers And not that there's a bad prayer, but there are safe prayers. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, and this is where we're going to camp out for a little bit this morning. David says these words. He prays these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you're all about safe prayers, this is not a prayer for you to pray. This is a dangerous prayer. Over these next six weeks, we're going we're to end up talking about intercessory prayer and praying for our community and praying to tear down strongholds, but we can't get there until we light a fire here. We can't get there until the kindling in our soul takes light, takes fire, takes flame, rather. Can't get the words out. Till it starts up and there's a good bed of coals there. I want us to go into Easter just being a church on fire for prayer. Tearing down strongholds, but I recognize we've got to get there first. And so we're going to take these next three Sundays, so three out of the six, and we're going to focus on the inside. We're going to start on the inside and then work out from there. Sound good? Search me. Search me. David prays this prayer, and it's not like, you know, you know. sometimes you pray, you're like, Lord, would you just search me? <laughs> Lord, if you got the time, would you just... Kind of do something. Lord, I'm just kind of not feeling you. We use this, Lord, I'm just in a desert place. No, your fire is out. God's, God never goes anywhere. I think we use that, by the way, just a little caveat. Be very careful about saying that. Oh, I'm just in a desert place. No, you're probably walking in sin and disobedience. Lord, search me. Search me. I want to be close to you. David prays this prayer this way. Oh, God, search me. Search me. Know my heart and my anxious thoughts. Dangerous prayer. Because the Bible says that God hears our prayers and he answers. And when you pray that prayer and you say, God, search me, guess what he's going to do? He's going to search you. And there is nothing comfortable about that prayer and I would encourage you in the point of action I'll give it to you today the point of action today is this go home and pray this prayer but don't pray it flippantly don't pray it kind of like popcorn prayer drive-through prayer hey God would you just search me only pray this prayer if you're ready to hear from the Lord God search me He highlights four things that he wants God to do in his life. I want to touch on, in fact, our four points this morning come straight out of the passage. You can probably guess what they are. The first one is this, know my heart, know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Now, let me just address what you may be thinking. Doesn't God already know my heart? Yes, he does. You know who doesn't know your heart? you you any any liars in the room if you're a liar would you just raise your hand come on raise it high keep it up keep it up all right now some of you are like this is a trick question this is a trick question all right i'm going to we're all liars now i'm not talking about maybe you're a habitual liar and you're lying about everything you're lying on your taxes don't lie on your taxes <laughs> as tempting as it may be, and how ever justified you might feel. All right, lecture over. We're all liars, and you know who we lie to all the time? We lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. I do it every day, and I catch myself going, no, just, just do this. When you catch yourself lying to yourself, just out loud say this, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> People will think you're crazy. <laughs> we are all liars because we're all born into his sin nature. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But I still have a flesh that it is, is battling with my spirit. And that is seated, deeply rooted in my heart. See, because you know your heart, and maybe not fully, God knows your heart, but your heart is the one thing that really you can keep to yourself and never show anyone else. So when David says, search my heart, what he's saying is, God, would you go to the deepest part of who I am, that part that no one ever sees, that no one else knows about, then the parts that I'm not even fully aware of. Would you go there? Dangerous prayer. Know my heart. See, people will say this. Oh, that person—they—they—they just basically have a good heart. They have a good heart. She has a good heart. She's not very nice, but you know what? She's got a good heart. He's kind of a grump, but he's got a good heart. No, he doesn't. He actually has a wicked heart, and so do you. How do I know that? I'm not just like throwing stones here. Bible actually tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10: "The heart is deceitful above." all things. Oh, and it's beyond cure. It's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Okay, so let's back up here. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for our lives. And you know what he says? He's like, I'm going to look at your heart. And we think, well, I'm just a good person. I did good things. God's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to look at your heart. And your heart will reveal. So even if you do a good thing with a bad heart motive, God knows. How many have have ever, I'll just raise my hand. You don't have to keep raising your hand because I just assume it's everyone. Everyone. How many of us have ever done something that seems nice and kind and a blessing really only with selfish motivation? If you're married, you've definitely done this before. (laughs) Guys are squirming in their seats. The heart wants what the heart wants. And given the chance your heart will lie to you every day, all day, it won't stop. And we rationalize things. We say, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. It's okay. I'm not a gossip. I'm just sharing a prayer request. I, I don't, I don't I have lust. I don't have a lust issue. I just I, I appreciate a good physique. I'm not, I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy. I just want that thing over there. There's no way to even get around that one. Jesus said, you made this statement, you've heard it said, don't do this, don't do this. He said, but I tell you what, if you, out of your heart, think these things and look in a certain way, you've already done it because your heart reveals who you really are. Your heart reveals who you really are. And the problem is, is so many of us know what's in our heart and we know that it doesn't line up with the rest of our lives. And right there, our prayer life becomes ineffective because you're not a righteous man. See how that ties together? God says, deal with your heart. Search my heart. Search my heart of God. Go into those places, right? It's like this. Lord, search my heart. So he's going to go, oh, yeah, that that thing over there. He's going to get a big old flashlight out. Huge, huge halogen lamp. And he's going to those places and he says, that thing right there, that thing right there isn't surrendered to me. That thing right there, you're holding on to that. Oh, you think that's hidden in the dark place of your heart? I know about it. When you pray this prayer, search me and know my heart, God will show you things about yourself that you might not even remember or know that you had. The result of a search me prayer no, my heart is a, oh, I didn't even know. What I love about this is that God's heart isn't to, to condemn you, He actually wants to free you from your own heart. That we celebrated communion this morning. The blood of Jesus was shed, right? For the forgiveness of sin. It's no coincidence, by the way, that when He's talking about the heart, what does the heart do? It pumps blood, life to your body. His blood overcomes. His blood frees. His blood breaks free, breaks those chains. God, search me. Not a safe prayer, but church, if we want to grow, if we want to be effective, it's a necessary prayer. It's a critical prayer. Excuse me for a sec. Someone brought me Starbucks. How cool is that? And I needed it this morning. Second thing is this. So know my heart, number one. Number two, reveal my fears. Reveal my fears. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You anxious about anything? Anyone in the room? Told you I was going to ask for a lot of response. Anyone anxious about anything? All right. Some of you are like, just it's peace. Right on. I get anxious all the time. Sunday mornings? Ooh, buddy. (laughs) know my anxious thoughts what do you fear what do you fear what are the things in your life that you wake up in the morning going oh I have to face that thing I have to deal with that I don't know how that's going to turn out relationships finances health what do you fear where is anxiety in your life? Where does it evidence itself in your life? When, when David cries out to God and says, know my anxious thoughts, he's asking God to expose something, to reveal something. And it's this. The places where we fear, the places that we have anxiety are the places that we're, where we're not trusting God. See, fear and faith don't go together. And I can't walk in fear and faith at the same time. It's impossible. I can't walk in fear and faith at the same time. So when I pray, Lord, would you reveal my fears? What I'm saying is, God, would you take those things that are not submitted to your lordship in my life, and would you take control of those things? Would you show me where I am not walking as a person of faith? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind. I could do with a sound mind. See, because my heart affects the way that I think. It informs those things. And so when my heart is anxious, isn't it amazing? You feel stress right here. Lord, reveal my my fear. Show me what those anxieties are, those things that I need to bring under your lordship. The places of greatest fear in our lives are the places where, we're tr- places where we're trusting God the least. The places of our greatest fear are the places where we're trusting God the least. It's those places where stuff happens and we throw up a log. God, I, I can't do it, but could you just, I, I'm, I'm out of options. And he's like, I was your only option the entire time. What made you think you could figure it out? It's this. Oh, I got this. I got this. Right? In, in regards to the heart, I'm all good. No, you're not. In, in regards to fear, I got this. No, you don't. There is not a single part of your life that, that shouldn't be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The response of our life should be God's got this. Not I've got this because i got nothing. I've got nothing to bring to the table. Amen. Reveal my fears. Next thing is this. Expose my sin. Expose my sin. See if there's any offensive way in me. I think it's interesting that, that he doesn't start with sin. I think we're infatuated with sin sometimes. We make sin a bigger deal than it is. don't don't hear me wrong. And it looks like Pastor Barry said sin's not a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. But you notice that he deals first with the heart, then with the fear, and then with the sin. Because there's a progression. When my heart is struggling and I walk in fear, what do I usually end up doing? Walking in sin. And so often when we're dealing with sin, what we're dealing with is a surface issue. It's a band-aid thing. Why do I keep dealing with that sin? Anyone dealt with the same sin over and 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 over again in your life? Yeah, again, everyone's hand should just pop right up. We all have those things, and maybe it's not a big deal, but you know what? Sin is sin, and it's all a big deal. And God says, I want to expose your sin. We, that word, don't expose. Hey, I'm a private person. I'm a, I just, just me, just me and my relationship with the Lord. I asked someone once, I was like, you know, he's just sharing some struggles. I'm like, how's your time with the Lord and the Word? Hey, that's my business. That's, my, that's between me and the Lord. That, and I was like, oh, you just told me everything I need to know. Right? Because the person who's in the Word is like this. Oh, I'm learning so much, and God is doing so much in my life. I shared an office when I was first a youth pastor with a, a man named Dr. Hall. I might have shared this already, and I'll probably share it again. It's a great, a great story. Dr. Hall was one of the guys that actually helped write the foundations of Pentecostal theology book. Phenomenal man of God. He had stories for days. His testimony was incredible. Taught the book of Ephesians at Life Bible College for 45 years. So we're sitting, we share an office. I'm a, I'm a sophomore at Life Bible College, just got married, just became a youth pastor, and I'm like, I got this figured out, right? And then I ran out of sermons in three weeks. Um, <laughs> Saturday morning, I just loved going to the office and sitting and talk, talking to Dr. Hall. He was 96 at the time. One day he says to me, Barry, he goes, I've read the book of Ephesians every day for the last 45 years. I'm thinking you can probably quote it backwards in the Greek. And then he says, and every time I read it, God teaches me something new. <laughs> Expose my sin. Expose my sin. Expose my sin. Not because God doesn't care and he wants to put you in a vulnerable place in front of people. Sometimes we're like, oh, but Lord, people knew. They'd reject me. They'd hurt me. And God goes, no, 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 no. This is all about you being healed. And I just say, yes. Probably some of you have been in a place in the body of Christ where someone has used your sin against you. And I just say, I'm sorry. On behalf of church other church leaders, I want to stay in a place and say, please, please forgive me and other pastors that have wronged you. That's not what God's church is supposed to be. That's not what this fellowship, this should be a place where anyone can walk through those doors and go, hey, listen, I'm here this morning and here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what the reality of my life is. And then no one would be like, whoo. That our response would be one of an embrace, because that's what God does for us. So when David says, Lord, expose my sin, what he's saying is, Lord, shine a light on those dark areas of my life so that I can walk in wholeness, because I can't deal, walk in healing and health and strength until I know what the issue is. And he might highlight stuff in your life, again, that you're like, I didn't even realize that. You might be thinking right now, I'm good. (laughs) You're not. See, because, because once you've dealt with the big issues, right, we, we kind of categorize sin. Like there's the big stuff, and then there's this scale that goes down, and then it's like, oh, it's like that thing. And God's like, I'm as concerned about the pebble as I am about the boulder. And so any believer who says, I'm good, I'm in a good place, God is, God's like, oh, no. Well, you just dealt with pride, so you're right back over here again. Lord, expose my sin. Can I say this is a daily prayer too? It's a daily prayer. Lord, expose my sin so I know how to walk in health. It says confess, confess right? Confess your sin. James says that. Confess your sin and then do what? Judge each other? Right? Be like, whoo, right? The Pharisees were like, God, I thank you. I'm not like that person. No, confess your sins to each other so you can be prayed for. So people can come alongside you and pray for you that you might find what? Healing. But you can't deal with it if you don't see it. Expose my sin. And then finally, this morning, lead me in your ways. Lead me in your ways. Know my heart, reveal my fears, expose my sin. And once I've got that all dealt with, Lord, today lead me in your ways. Lead me in the way everlasting. David understood eternity. David understood the kingdom of God. Not just for this lifetime and not just for today. God, would you lead me today in the way everlasting? Jesus said it this way. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. Lord, cause me to be a kingdom-minded person. Cause me to be a person who says, what does God want first before what do I want? Because those things are very often at odds with each other. Why? Because my heart is deceitful, and my heart will tell me I need something. And God's like, no, you don't. Yeah, but God, no, you don't. And as you start doing this, God's, it'll become clearer, and you start seeing, okay, Lord, This is what you're calling me to do. This is how, Lord, that doesn't make sense, but I know that it's in line with your word. God, I don't understand why you're asking me to do this or make that decision. It goes in the face of what the wisdom of this world is, but I trust you because you know my heart. You've you've revealed, uh, revealed my fears. You've exposed my sin. And now I'm just gonna trust you. At that point, in the fireplace of your soul, in the, in the wood-burning stove of your soul, God has now kindled a fire. He's kindled a fire. It's not a log yet. There's just a flame, and there's heat starting to emanate. And I tell you, if you pray this prayer not just once a month or once a year. I prayed, I prayed my, search, my search me prayer daily, probably multiple times a day. God, search me. Search me. I was faced with something this week where an area of my life where I tend to be easily offended. Anyone else get easily offended places? All right, you guys. You're all thinking about the Super Bowl already. We all have those areas. We all have those areas where we're easily offended. And our heart gives us permission to be offended. I was struggling this week with something that happened and Man, my flesh was like, yep, there we go again. It's the same thing as when you were 13 years old. and those, that, that same thing happened then. Man, my flesh was just, I felt the battle. Megan and I even talked about it. But you know, I stopped because I'm preparing for this sermon. God, search me. Just right now, would you search me? Would you, would you reveal my heart? Would you show me the fears? Why is this an issue for me? Why why is this such a big deal? And why does it lead to a place of sin? Because it always has in my life. God searched me. And you know what the Lord is faithful? And he's like, Barry, you have a fear of rejection. You have a fear of rejection. You have a fear that people just won't like you. And really, it's an identity thing. And Megan and I were able to stand in our garage and pray and talk. And you know what? instantly God said, you know, I'm going to break that. And I went to bed that night over something that could have caused me to lose sleep. I had a great night's sleep. See, because when you pray in the moment, say, God, I'm feeling something here, and I'm not quite sure what's going on. And if you just go, God, search me, he will. He will. He'll show himself to be faithful in that. Let's stand together. It's a dangerous prayer to pray, but I want to invite you to carefully carve out some time this week, today, tomorrow, set aside some time. Don't do this in the car. Really, don't do it in the car. Don't do it on your way to work or as you're about to walk into the office, driving the kids to school. Take some time. Get up half an hour earlier and take some time and get on your knees before the Lord. You don't have to get on your knees, but there's a good sign of surrender right there. Say, Lord, would you search me? Would you know my heart, reveal my fears, expose my sin, and lead me today? And let's see what he does. Father God, this morning, I pray that you would light a fire. That you would light a fire in this church, in New Community, Foursquare Church in Glendora, California. Lord, we can't, we can't, we're not praying this prayer for other people, Lord. We're praying this for ourselves. Would you light a fire in us that would consume the garbage? We'd consume the things that don't belong. We'd consume the things that are not surrendered to you and don't bring you glory and honor. God, would you search us? Would you know our hearts? Lord, would you reveal our fears? Would you expose our sin? And would you cause us to be a church who walks in your way everlasting? And Lord, the awesome thing is, is when you do, we can't take any of the credit. You get the glory. You get the honor. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.